says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And thanks for coming to church this day. And some of you know that we are also supposed to have a blessing Amen. of some two people. Amen. But then this pastor is very flexible. He asked them, where do you want to pitch it? They said, no, we're still going to have a real wedding sometimes in future, but we just needed a blessing today. So today we are not in the limelight. So the pastor said, that's fine. Amen. So that's why they are not in the limelight. So we'll proceed with the service and then toward the end, then we will do the blessing as they have requested it. Amen. 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 Just to welcome all of you and say, let us enjoy together the word of the Lord. For the past two weeks, we were celebrating the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think for the Israelites, they know what they are celebrating because they are reminded of the time when they were in slavery in Egypt in bondage. And I think for Christians, we are also supposed to be reminded of the time when we were still under the dominion so I say for the Israelites, it was the time to remember their deliverance from slavery, from Egypt. For Christians, it's the time to remember the time when we're still under bondage, under the dominion of Satan. So the question is, if you are not a Christian and you are not an Israelite, what are you celebrating? You're probably celebrating Easter eggs. Isn't it? You know that when it's Easter, some people are celebrating Easter eggs. But we are celebrating our deliverance Amen. from the bondage of sin, from the tyrannical rule of the devil. Tell your neighbor, the devil is cruel. And uh, sometimes people go through things and they end up blaming God when actually it's just the cruel devil that is out to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So if you read the book of Revelation, you will realize that everything was fine until the devil misbehaved in heaven. He used to be called Lucifer, the angel of worship. But when he wanted to lift himself above God, then Michael and his angels fought with him and threw him down. And the Bible says, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, because the devil is thrown out to you and is coming in great fury. So... It means we need God to give us a way to be rescued from the hands of this cruel devil. If you can see most of the things that are happening and you, your heart breaks when you see how rampant evil is and how people are enslaved, how people are hurt because of the enemy. So I want us to go together to Colossians chapter 1. Because I talked two words with you. I talked the word redemption or to be redeemed, which means to be rescued. When you rescue somebody, it means if you leave them there, they are going to be hurt. They may even be killed. So you rescue them. Okay? The other word is the word justified, which is like just as if you had never seen. So when you are justified, it means because of the blood of Jesus, the Lord sees you clean. 
And I told you that if you wash something, you cannot unwash it. So in other words, if your sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus, you can celebrate to say, I'm now a new person in Christ. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and things have become new. But I want us to look at this Colossians 1, 13 and 14 NIV. It says, for he has rescued us. Let's all say, he has rescued us. So it means if you are not yet rescued, most of the things that you were thinking, ah, oh, but if God is there, why is this? Why is this? Why is this? He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Another version says he has rescued us from the tyrannical rule of the devil. The devil is a bad manager. He's a bad master. He enslaves people. Look at people who are under the dominion of sin. You will see how enslaved they are, but they think they are free. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Amen. So for me, and then verse 14 says, in whom we have redemption. I told you that word redemption and the word to be rescued. Talking about the same thing. So I think I told some of you that I just think the devil missed an opportunity when I didn't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior because I was under, still under his dominion. He could have done with me whatever he wanted. He could have even killed me. But he didn't. So he missed an opportunity because now I'm free. Amen. Now I will no longer allow him to take dominion over me. Amen. Amen. So in other words, he cannot torment me with sickness. He cannot kill me. I will, when I have to depart, I must do like Christ. You remember Christ when he was about to be uh, crucified. You know what he said? He said, the evil one, the prince of this world is coming after me, but he's got nothing in me. And he says, I lay down my life. And he said to Peter when Peter was, you remember when Peter was trying to fight to defend him? He said, if I did not want to die, I could have called on the angels and the Lord my father would have dispatched angels they would have protected me how many of you know that those who fear the Lord are surrounded by angels amen, amen. amen. so it means the Lord protects me the Lord covers me he has rescued me from the dominion of darkness so I can celebrate so that word to redeem is the word litrosis in Greek litrosis which means ransoming or deliverance or rescue. So that's why Colossians 1.13 says he has rescued us. So if he has rescued me, things have to be different now. I want us to go to the book of Isaiah chapter 61. From verse 1 to verse 3, when I pray, usually I like quoting this scripture because this is the same scripture that Jesus quoted when he was on the earth. Isaiah 61, 1 to 3, New King James Version, it reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. So, we're preaching good news. So, we're not bringing condemnation to you. We tell you that God loves you. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. If you are here, and you are broken hearted. It means it's not the devil who broke you. It's not God who broke your heart. Because the Lord says, the Lord has sent me to heal 
the broken hearted. So he cannot be the one who breaks your heart and the one who heals it. Amen. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted. So somebody broke your heart and the Lord wants to heal your heart. To proclaim liberty to the captives. You remember that word rescued? So captives are free. So there is no reason why anybody can still remain under the dominion of darkness. You have been set free. You see, it would only be like uh, Mr. Netanjian was talking when he was reminding us during giving time and touching on the issue of that I touched on last week of lack of knowledge. Sometimes when you are free, but you don't know that you are free, then you behave as if you are bound. Okay, now let me give you one example. They say some people did this experiment. So they tied a, 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 a goat. The goat would be feeding. So the good thing about coming from rural areas, when I say a goat, you know what's a goat. So, so the, the, the goat was like grazing in the grass. So they tied its foot or its leg with a rope. So the goat would eat it, go, and when it reaches here, it realizes I'm tied. So I can't do this. Eat, eat, eat. When it reaches here, it realizes I'm tied. I can't go beyond this. So it was like that for several days. They say one day they cut the rope off, but they didn't tell the goat anything. So the goat goes. That's the point I was bound anyway. So why do you think this goat is doing like this? It doesn't know that it's free. So now let's leave goats alone. Don't you think there are still people who are like this? Because that's where you were bound. You are even reminded about the things you did even before some people were born. Sometimes you look at something and it always reminds you this thing. You need to say, I'm free. I'm free. Can we all say, I'm free? free. And if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And he says, he has sent me to proclaim the opening of prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. I want to show you these things, this contrast. Because some of you, when you are mourning, you say it's God. He says, I want to comfort you in your mourning. Okay? I want to set you free in your bondage. You remember even when the children of Israel were in bondage, he says, I've heard, I know your sorrows and I've heard your cries. I want to deliver you. To pro- where, where are we? Verse 3. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So sometimes some of you say, I just feel down today. I just feel heavy. What I supposed to have in contrast? The garment of praise. So you start saying, because he lives. I can face tomorrow 
even with that thing and the devil is trying to show you how much in trouble you are. But you say he has given me the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So I'm not going to entertain this spirit of heaviness. You know the devil would make you meditate a lot on things that are going to hurt you. Sometimes you wake up 12 o'clock midnight and you worried the whole night you cannot sleep. And I told some of you the trick before. I say if the devil wants you not to sleep because he's telling you all the bad things, start praying. He doesn't like prayer at all. You will fall asleep. <laughs> amen. You, I guarantee you, you will fall asleep and you don't know when you said amen. 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 But if you keep on entertaining what he's telling you, you will keep on having that spirit of heaviness instead of the garment of praise. That they may be called trees of righteousness and the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. So we said, all these things, we are now reminded of what Jesus has done for us. But God has been so good to us. All the things, they sometimes look too good to be true. You know when somebody says, I will make sure that you are healed, I will protect you, I will provide for you, I will do all this for you. That's why you remember when the children of Israel were in Egypt, and then Moses said, when he had an encounter with God, he said, when I go to them and I, they ask, what is your name, what must I say to them? What did God say? He says, tell them, I am who I am. Who are you? I am who I am. That's my name. He even said, that's my name. Amen? You remember you said, you are Yahweh, the Alpha and the Omega. I am who I am. So for me, that word I am who I am, it means when you need healing, I'm Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your healer. When you need provision, I am Jehovah Jireh, the Lord your provider. When you need peace and you are troubled in your heart, I'm Jehovah Shalom, the Lord your peace. So I like it when he is everything that I can ever need. Amen. Amen. Because imagine if he said to the Israelites, I am Jehovah the deliverer, telling Moses. And Moses goes and tells them, this God that I'm telling you about, he is Jehovah the Deliverer. So he delivers them from Egypt. In, in the wilderness, did they need deliverance? Mm-mm. They needed provision. <laughs> so if he was only a deliverer and he doesn't provide, they would have been in trouble. So my God is everything. Tell your neighbor, my God is everything that I need. But then, because he has given us this so many things, he, he did something that people in the world, sometimes they do it, I will tell you, is the issue called covenant. When you cut a covenant with somebody, you are reassuring them that I mean business. Amen? Because there, you know there are people who promise you something, and when you are excited, they say, no, I was just joking. <laughs> when your hopes were very high. Now, God said, all the things that I've told you, I want to seal them in a covenant to show you that as long as I am God, it remains like that. And that's why Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and we have this covenant. So I want to take you, I just recap quickly about this covenant because today I want to link what we say talking about even with there are some people who want to be 
join together. And covenant is a very serious thing. Amen. You don't enter into it lightly. Because once you are in there, you are in there. Amen. So what they used to do, so let me take this one. In covenant, I told you last week, I said they used to cut, they make a cut. You cut here, the other one cuts here, and then you mingle your blood. So that this one become that one, that one become that one. And I gave you the example of the origin of a ring. To say originally it used to be a scar. You would make a cut, and then you would have a scar. The good thing with that one is you can't then go somewhere and say, Oh, I'm not in covenant. Because some of you, you see, with this one, now it's like I'm in covenant. Eh? Now when I want to misbehave, You see? But now if it's a scar, do you take a scar out? So that's why I think that original thing, and you remember, when a blood has flown and there is a scar, you will remember even Jesus saying, put your hand on my scar. So the scar remains. Okay? As a sign that there is a covenant that has been cut. So if you go with me to the book of Let's, let's, let's link this, the cutting of that and then the scar. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. I'll read in NIV and I'll read in TLB. So when God had made a covenant with us and he made a cut, but he also used that scar as an identification to say, these ones are mine. I'm glad I've got some Googles, some uh, Googles among us here, grannies. Grannies, I was telling some of these people last week to say, where I grew up, our grannies were very wise. So when people would have a lot of hen and chicken and you stay in the same place. Now, instead of you saying mine are white with black stripes, they had to make a cut on each one of them. So mine would have a seal on this one. The other ones for that one would have on that one. The other one would have on that one to show that this one belongs to this one. Now, can I show you in scriptures that God has branded me? He, he claims me as his own. Look at that scripture. We'll read in the NIV and in the TLB. It says, so I'm telling you that scar is not only a reminder of a covenant, but it's also a brand to show that I belong to God. Those of you who are born again, who are children of God, can you say, I belong to God? I am branded. I've got a brand. I've got God's brand. I'm a brand ambassador of the kingdom. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. We'll do it in NIV and we'll do it in TLB. TLB is the living. NIV says, Now it is God who makes us both, us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership. On us. You see that thing I was telling you about? So the seal, the mark. So he sets his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. In the Living Bible, it even puts it more better. TLB, it says, he has put his brand upon us. His mark of ownership. I like it when God has marked me, has branded me. 
You remember the Israelites when they were again the Passover? You remember when they were in Egypt and the angel of death was supposed to destroy those who didn't have a covenant with God? He said, for you have a covenant with me, apply the blood on your doorposts. And when I see the blood, I will be reminded of the covenant that I have with you. And I will not allow the destroyer to destroy you. Amen. Amen. So if he has put a brand of ownership upon me, how do you think the devil would behave when he sees me? Hmm? Oh, this one is like Christ. Mm, be careful. Okay? So it means I'm branded, I'm owned by God. And he protects me, he provides for me, I'm in covenant with him. And when I'm in covenant with him, he has even made promises to me. He has promised to heal me, to protect me, to provide for me. Anything I need, he has promised me that I've got it in Christ. So if you read it with me in the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, 6, and 7, making the promises. So why I'm lending this, I want to lend this with the, the two of you that we're going to bless you today. You need to know that when you get into a covenant, it means all these things. You are there for one another. Okay? You are committed to each other. Okay? And you make promises that you have to keep. So in Hebrews 8, verse 6 and 7 in the NIV, it says, But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is a superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator. It's superior to the old one. You see the word covenant? Since the new covenant is established on better promises. So the new covenant is established on better promises. So there are promises that God has given me, and I will stick with those. Remember, Mr. Netanyahu was reminding us every place that the sole of your foot shall tread. All the promises that the Lord has given, they belong to us, but they only work for you when you possess them. Amen. It's almost like if I put food here in front of you. How many of you know that food satisfied and makes you feel full, fulfilled? If you eat, you get full, isn't it? Yeah. But if there is food there and you don't eat, do you get full just because there is food? Huh? Some of you, you are amazing. <laughs> you get full by just looking at food. No. If the food is in front of you and you don't eat it, you will die of hunger. So there are so many promises. So it says he has, it's established on better promises. So you've got to go and check what are those promises and then start owning them. Okay? And when we do this with God, he even, we even take his identity. I like to take his identity. I like to be his representative. Do you know the word I told you, the word Christian, is the word Christ and Ian, which means there is the word Christ in my name. So it means I've got his identity. Christ is in me, the hope of glory. And then what they would do, then they would also exchange identities. I told you last week that when Christ was on the cross, 2 Corinthians 5.21, New King James Version, it says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So in other words, he knew no sin. I was a sinner. He was righteous. He took my sin so that I can take his righteousness. 
So that's an exchange. That's why I can say I'm a child of God and I'm not boasting. I'm just telling you who I am. Amen. Amen. If anyone is in Christ, it's a new creation. All things are passed away and all things have become new. So he has changed an identity with me. So when they would change coats, changing of the coats meant changing of sharing identity. So I told you last week that you know the code. You, how do you know somebody is a traffic officer? Because of their coats, isn't it? They do this, you stop. Why? Because of their identity. How much do you think the devil must behave when I do? In the name of Jesus. And he looks at me and, and I look like Christ. Amen. 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 So it means I've taken on God's identity in me. And the other thing they do, they would exchange weapons. I won't read this one, Exodus 23:22. He says, he will become an enemy to your enemies. So it means, he says, I will fight with those who fight you. So all these things are applicable also in those of you who want to come into covenant with each other. You've got to be there for one another. You've got to protect each other. So God is on my side. Can we all say God is on my side? Who can be against me? Amen. And we give you an example in 1 Samuel chapter 18, 3 and 4, NIV. The covenant between David and Jonathan. Just want to show you those things that we said and then we'll link the covenant with Abraham and then we'll focus with what we need, the blessing for today. But I want to link these things so that because they need to flow into one. So the covenant between David and Jonathan in the book of 1 Samuel 18, 3 and 4. I'll read in the NIV. And Jonathan made a covenant. You see that word covenant? Huh? Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved himself, him as himself. Now, Jonathan was the son of Saul, but because he has made a covenant with David, he's got to say, I'm prepared to die for you, David, because I'm with you now. I might be the son of Saul, who is your enemy, but I am now have chosen to be identified with you. So Jonathan took off his robe. What did we say the robe or the, 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 the garment indicates it's your identity. He took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword. We told you about exchange of weapons. And his bow and his belt. So he was saying, your enemies have become my enemies. So imagine God says to me, your enemies has become my enemies. Do you think I still need to fight any enemy when I've got God on my side? Uh-uh. I will be like, you remember the time when Saul was persecuting the church before he was called Paul? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It will be hard for you to kick against the pricks because now you are persecuting the Lord. You think you are persecuting these people, but you are persecuting the Lord. So God is on my side. Now, if we take the covenant between God and Abraham, let's go there. Because I want to give you just a few things and link. Genesis 17. From verse 1 to verse 11 in the NIV. You need to understand this because if you understand covenant, then you will also see why it's so serious that the moment you are united with somebody, even in marriage, you need to have all these things. That's how serious this thing is. It means you are committed now. It means you are one now. It means you are there for one another now. It means you are there to defend each other. 
It means you are there for each other at all cost. Amen. Amen. Genesis 17, 1-11, NIV says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. So I like it when God comes and introduces himself this time as God Almighty to Abraham. He says, Then I will make my covenant between me and you. Imagine you were Abraham and God comes and says, I want to make a covenant with you. Say, God, what do you need from me? I've got nothing. You are God Almighty. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You've got everything. I've got nothing. What do you need from me? He says, I love you. Just want to do all these things because I love you. You know the good thing about love? It means you get things not because you deserve them, but because you are loved. Amen? When you are loved, that's why we need to love one another. And when you love somebody, do good to them. Bless them. So he says, I am God Almighty. I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and said to God, as for me, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Abraham had no child. And God now says, you will be the father of many nations. Do you think it's believable? You've got no child. And God says, you will have children as many as the sand of the sea, as the stars of the heavens. You will say, ah, but Lord, are you sure? He says, he says, let's seal it in covenant. I mean business. He says, I will make a covenant with you so that all these promises I'm giving you, you know I'm committed to them. It will happen exactly as I've told you. That's why the Bible, we usually call the Bible the Old Testament and the New Testament. Literally, it's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Amen? Amen. Which means everything that is promised there, God is committed to it. So even if he said to Abraham, I will greatly increase your numbers. And he says, my covenant is you will become the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham. So what was God doing? He was changing his name. We told you. Okay? So God finds me a sinner. And he doesn't leave me as a sinner. He changes my name to the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? Amen? That's covenant. So now he finds a man called Abraham. And he changes his name to Abraham. He says why? For I have made you a father of many nations. Now, in Abraham's name, there was God's name also. Because he says, I have made you a father of many nations. So the name Abraham means, I have made you a father of many nations. So you have taken my identity with you. Amen. He says, I will make you very fruitful. These things are good, isn't it? Amen. I will make nations of you and the kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, 
you must keep my covenant. So he says, I'm making a covenant with you, but you've got a part to play also. Okay? You and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And he says, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So he says, I want to see that there is shedding of blood because this covenant cannot be cut without shedding of blood. But I also want to see that there is a scar that remains. Did you see that? Yes. So he says, they will have to have that circumcision. And he says, you are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So when Jesus rose from the dead, you remember when he said, put your finger on the scar. See the scar in my hand. So he said, this is a sign that there is a covenant. So for Abraham, God says, circumcision will be a sign that you are in covenant with me. For us, the scars on Jesus' hands is a sign that we are in covenant with him. What is the sign that a husband is in covenant with the wife? They also have another scar. But unfortunately, this one, this modern scar, I, I don't like it because people usually take it off. Amen. So he says, the covenant you are to keep, and there is a seal or a sign for it. Now, I want to link all these things to the two people that we are going to bless today. Because they said, we had a traditional ceremony where the Dambuza family and the Ngaki family came together. And traditionally, they regard us as husband and wife. Okay? So there's the traditional part. And you know, usually when I solemnize weddings or marriages, because I'm a registered marriage officer, I would usually do a blessing and also make people to sign and give them a certificate, marriage certificate, because in legal terms or in South African context, you also need that to show that you have got a civil marriage that's recognized in the Department of Home Affairs. So I want us to look at marriage in those three aspects where you, you announce it. So for an African, usually there is this African traditional thing. Our parents were married like that, and that was it. Finished. No signing, no blessing, and that was it. But I think now we can do better. Amen? Amen? Because we live in the modern world. At least when the time comes, you can also sign. But also when the time comes, you need to be blessed. Because some people usually, they start a marriage and they start living together. They say, Pastor, it's very expensive to marry. Who told you that? So you need to do like them. The two of them said, we're still looking for a great day where we will invite a lot of people and celebrate with them. And we will even eat. Today you won't eat. So we will even eat and we will, we will celebrate, we will uh, exchange vows, we'll do all these things. But we don't want to spoil that day. So all we need today is just a blessing. So that when we stay together, we know that the Lord has blessed our staying together. Amen. Then I said that's good because you are also teaching others. There are some who, because they think that 
a blessing, it's expensive. Then they end up living in sin just because they can't get married and they can't be blessed. No, we can bless you. And you continue to live with whoever is your wife or your husband. And when the great day comes, when you are well sorted now, now you start making the big one, isn't it? But you shouldn't be denied an opportunity to have God in your marriage from the beginning. The problem is that most of us, we start things without God. And when things are tough now, all of a sudden we look for God. I want you to go to the book of John chapter 2. And I'm not sure now my two people... Okay, you said you don't want to be in the limelight. I'll call you only in due time. But now we're starting to talk about you sometime. So John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11 in the ESV, English Standard Version. It says, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Verse 2. Jesus also was invited to the wedding. Let's all say Jesus also was invited to the wedding. Okay, ask your neighbor, but they mustn't answer. Ask them, did you invite Jesus in your wedding? <laughs> okay, so I remember there was a story. You remember the story when Jesus was to cross to the other side with his disciples? He said, let's cross to the other side. And then they had him in their boat to cross to the other side. But the Bible says there were other boats also there. And the Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus was also in the other boats. And it says, now the winds came. But because Jesus was in that boat, the disciples could call on Jesus. And then he would calm the storm. He could deliver them. But imagine those boats that did not have Jesus. When they were in trouble, it was their own trouble. So you leave Jesus out of your marriage at your own peril. Thus saith the pastor. You leave Jesus out of your marriage at your own peril. So this year it says Jesus was invited also to the wedding. I want to equate something. You'll see toward the end. Marriage is supposed to be enjoyed, not endured. You know, in the African context, they say, ah, marriage, it's a boiling pot. It's always boiling. Now, if it's always boiling, why do you get into a boiling pot? You should have left the pots alone. Let them boil there. Can I tell you, the scripture, the word of God says, marry, enjoy, enjoy marriage with your wife. It means marriage is enjoyable. It's just that it depends on how you got in there. So imagine this man. He, was, he had invited Jesus into his wedding. Verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. Why did the mother of Jesus go to Jesus when they ran out of wine? He knew that Jesus can always make something happen. Amen? And I think if Jesus was not invited to this wedding, when they ran out of wine, it was over. Game over. You know that some of you, when you start loving each other, you are bubbling and your wine is very high. Eh? 
you you can't even spend a day without seeing each other huh it's still bubbling the wine is at a certain level and all of a sudden after sometimes you even feel like you hate what did i see when i married this one no you just running out of wine my brother <laughs> <laughs> so, so, because there was a time when this thing was an exciting thing. Yeah. So now that's still the same person. So it means when you start thinking, what did I see when I married this one? You must just hear the pastor saying, whispering to you, you're just running out of wine, brother. <laughs> Nothing is wrong. It's still the same person you married. Yeah. The problem is not the person, it's the wine. Amen. So now they ran out of wine and Jesus said to her woman what does this have to do with me my hour is not yet come his mother said to the servants do whatever he tells you now there were six stone jars that were set uh, by Jewish rite of purification each holding 20 or 30 gallons that was the lot of ca- capacity Jesus said to them fill the jars with water and they filled them up to the brim so when he filled <laughs> Okay he said fill the jars with water why did these people want did they want water they wanted wine okay now if you fill the jars with water and you fill it to the brim even if you want to make sweet aid you still need a bit of space so that when you pour something it won't overflow so now jesus what do you mean fill then another one said he said, you remember what the mother of jesus said whatever he tells you to do do it That's our problem. Usually where you fail, whether it's in your marriage or in your faith walk, it's you have a lot of questions. You think you know better than God. Amen. Amen. So I'm saying to you, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Do it. Amen. Tell your neighbor whatever he tells you to do, do it. Even if it doesn't make sense because now they want wine and Jesus says fill the water pots with water. Jesus we're not talking water here. They want wine. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Do it. I like actually I like the simplicity of faith. I just do what he told me to do. It's his problem how that water becomes wine. That's not got nothing to do with me. I didn't say you must fill the water pots with water with water. He said it. So whose name is at stake? His name. Amen. Amen. So they So at least this once they they listen to the mother of Jesus do whatever he tells you to do. Ah but okay. Let's fill it. So they fill them to the brim. Now verse 8. And he said to them Now draw some of it and take it to the master of the feast. Ah. Hey. I think the master of the feast was already angry that too. <laughs> now the guests are too many and now there is no more wine. What are we going to do? Now you bring water. And you think you're teasing me. So I think this is what these guys were thinking. Are we taking a risk here? This is draw and take to the master of the feast. other one said i don't want to risk that man is already angry now we give him water 
when he's still frustrated about the wine that's no longer there, and this thing is, what, do you remember what the mother of Jesus said? Whatever he tells you to do, do it. You know, Christianity would have been very simple. Huh? You rem- Guys, Christianity would have been very simple if we were just inclined to obey whatever he tells us to do. The problem with us is that we want difficult things. You remember Naaman? Okay? Naaman had leprosy and he could not be cured with all the means he had at his disposal. The Bible says Naaman was a great man. He was well known, but he could not cure himself of leprosy. Now there was this young girl who was also captured and he was there with the Syrian. She said, if my master could just go to Israel, to Samaria, he can be cured of his leprosy. Then Naaman goes, he comes to the king of Israel. I'm here for you to, to cure me. The king of Israel said, uh-uh. the king of Syria just wants to start war now. How can we cure leprosy? Because this is incurable. He knows that. The man of God had it and then he said, tell them to bring him here. That's good to have men of God among you. Amen. Tell them to bring him here. So now when Naaman was coming, because Naaman was a great man, do you think if somebody's coming and this is a great government official, the general of the army, with maybe with entourage and a lot of, now they are coming with all the hutas and with the lights. Now they come to the house of the man of God. He thought the man of God was going to respect his status. The man of God just gives a word. Tell him to go and wash in the river Jordan. What? Naaman said, are there no better rivers in Damascus? Is Parfaras and, and, and what was the other one? Is Parfaras and, there were two rivers there. He mentioned them. Are they not better than this, Damas- this, this, uh, this river here, Jordan? What is so special about Jordan? Do you think if the seven, then the seven did what we had here in John? Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Because then the seven, as he was going with Naaman, he said, my master. Because now Naaman was going away with his leprosy. He was angry. He said, I thought the man of God would come out and maybe even wave his hands and do all these things. Now he just tells me to go and wash in the river Jordan. The servant said, but the man of God asked you an easy thing. If he asked you a difficult thing, you would have done it. Do you know that's the thing with people? We tell you, come, lay, let me lay hands on you and you'll be healed. Or let speak this word and you'll be healed. Ah, oh, pastor, without giving me some ropes. Oh, pastor, oh, we are used to going to the middle of the river, maybe at midnight, some difficult thing, men, men, and kill some chicken. You like difficult things. That's why you are missing your miracle. So Naaman decided, let me just go. Now, because the man of God said, that servant said, but he asked you a simple thing. Now he went there, he washed. When he washed, now he was clean. It works. Tell your neighbor, it works. It works. And that's how this pastor always gets things from God. It works. Whatever he tells me to do, no matter how stupid it may feel to your mind, I will do it. Amen. Amen. So, now look at this. So they took it to him. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. You see that? So, when the water was in the water pot, it was still water. 
When they were drawing it, it was still water. But they believed that if he says we must do it, this thing will work, it will work. And as they now, and he tested the one that has now become wine. Amen. That's how you get your miracle. Just do whatever he tells you to do. Even in your marriage, the two of you, there are a lot of things where you will have to believe God. Sometimes your mind thinks of it this way and you think, I think when uh, Mr. Netanyahu was encouraging us about giving, many people give, lose the opportunity because they think, if I give now, what about this? What about this? But even if you don't give, you're still poor. It's not giving that is making you poor. Don't blame, don't blame your poverty on giving. Poverty, uh, giving found you still poor. So it means it's not because you are poor that you're not giving. You remember the, the widow who had nothing? She gave whatever she had, okay? Which means there's no excuse in not participating in God's economy. So this one says, when the master, where is that? It's verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water that has now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, now listen to this. I told you, everybody can make their wine when you start, you love this person with all your heart, everything. We try to tell you, even when we talk with you, you don't want to listen to us because you're always thinking of this one. So the water is still, the, the, the wine is still nice and well. Now this one says, everyone serves the good wine first. That's not a miracle. That's not difficult. Tell your neighbor, it's not difficult to serve the good wine first. Even in your marriage, it's not difficult to have this excitement on day one or day two. Okay? The wine is still going on well. And he says, when people have drunk freely, then the poor one. But you have kept the good wine until now. So for him, he was asking, what is your secret? Amen? I've been married to my wife now for over 28 years. Okay? What do you think is the secret? Why have we kept the best wine even until now? There's Jesus. Jesus was invited here. And each day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Amen. 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 So it means even when I'm asked the opportunity, do you want, if we were given a chance to, to marry again, to start afresh, we're still going to marry that one. I would say, yes. As long as Jesus is there, it will work. So even those of you that we are going to bless today, people may intimidate you and threaten you by their own experiences. And tell you that marriage must be careful. They are sharing with you their experiences. Because the Bible says this about marriage. Because you remember he said, you have kept the good wine until now. What is your secret? What was the secret? Jesus. Okay? So it means even in your own marriage. So the time you start feeling you are running low on wine. It's not time to go to Sangomas. It's time to pray even more. Yeah. Lord, restore my wine. Amen. Amen. We are running out of wine. We used to love each other so much that we couldn't spend a day without uh, missing each other. But now, he hates me like I'm his enemy. What has happened? He's running out of wine. Amen. So you need Jesus to give you a miracle to restore that wine. Now, 
I want to pick this, and we're binding to the, to the blessing of them. We'll do, let's do this, Ecclesiastes 9, 9 and 10. And I want to ask all married men if we can stand, please. If you are a man and you know you have a wife, I'm asking you to stand up, please. I'm also standing, I'm a pastor, but I'm also a married man. So I want you to stand up, please. If you know you are a married man, I want you to stand up, please. Amen. Amen. The, and we're going to read this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. And I want to show you that it is possible to enjoy life with your wife. Ecclesiastes 9, 9 and 10. Live joyfully. Other translation says, the NIV says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Guys, can't we enjoy life with our wives? Huh? It's up to us, isn't it? It's up to us. No, pastor, you just don't know my wife. But why did you marry her? The problem is not her, the problem is the wine, man. That's why you married her at first. You can see it. So it means we can actually enjoy life with our wives. And I've picked up something in scripture. Maybe let's go there. Let's go to this Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 to 16. And then I will go back to that uh, Ecclesiastes, so that then we can wind down with that and call the truth. I've picked up something, and for you young people, you know, before you get married, I was there also before. Uh, <laughs> sometimes, as gentlemen, it's not easy to propose. You are sometimes scared. Hey, if I, if I now I propose and she says no, ish, or she thinks now I'm in the flesh, I'm no longer a Christian, ish. Now you are scared. Okay? You need courage. Sometimes you would even propose with a letter. At least a letter can go. Then I'll just wait. I'll just wait for the answer. Because we are scared to propose, isn't it? It's a scary thing. But I've seen one thing. Usually you would find that ladies at that stage, usually they are the ones who are on the pound seat because you are scared that they will say no. But once they say yes, <laughs> telling you, ladies know how to love. Amen. Amen. Once they say yes, now they are in it for good with you. So most of the divorces, you can also make your own statistics. The divorces that I know personally, most of them, the culprit was the husband. That says the pastor, it's not the Bible. So make your own statistics. Think of the divorces that you know about, especially people that even came close to you and know who was the culprit. I tell you, the majority is husbands, is men. Now look at this, Malachi 2, 13 to 16. Because this is about a covenant, and God takes a marriage covenant as serious as he takes our covenant with him. He does not take it lightly. Now, Malachi 2, 13 to 16, NIV, it says, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with your tears. 
You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? You see these people, it says, you men, you are now praying a lot and you're praying, praying, you're bringing your offering, you're doing all this, and now you realize that he doesn't look at your offerings with favor anymore. Peter says, if you don't live well with your wife, it will even hinder your prayers. They will not be answered. So God is saying, I want to defend these women. I want to defend these ladies. You can't be treating her like that and expect me to answer your prayers. Shut the doors. Okay, now they said why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. So God says, it's good when you come to me and you are praying and you are doing all this, but I'm not going to close my eyes. I know the covenant you have made. And he says, you have been unfaithful to her. Men, this is to us. You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner. The wife of your marriage. Marriage what? Marriage what? Can we all say marriage is a covenant? So all the things that I was telling you about a covenant, they fit in well with marriage also. So actually the book of Ephesians, it says, if time permits, we'll read it. It says, this is a mystery. I'm talking about, when I talk about the relationship between the wife and the husband, it's the same relationship that is there between Christ and the church. Amen. So then he says, is the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you, you belong to him in a body and spirit, and what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, does violent to the one he should protect. You see, God takes this thing very serious, guys. Gentlemen, you see that how serious the Lord takes this? He says, this is a covenant. Actually, other version says, the Lord says, I hate divorce. I hate it. God usually loves people and loves many things, isn't it? But he says, I hate divorce. I hate it because I was a witness. So that, by the way, this is the other danger of inviting Jesus into your marriage. Maybe if you don't invite him, let's say you just do the traditional thing and just do your thing. So when it doesn't work, at least we didn't bother Jesus here. So we can as well just part our ways. But the problem is now when he was a witness, now you say, mm -mm. I don't know what I saw when I married her. I told you, it's not, the problem is not that. The problem is you are running out of wine. So it says, says the Lord Almighty, so be on your guard and don't be unfaithful. So <clears throat> we are going to do the blessing of these people. But I want us to take it seriously. Even those of us who are already married, we can enjoy our marriages. And we can even encourage people that are not yet married to say marriage is a good thing. The problem is that if we don't do it right and we don't always involve Jesus, 
Yes, indeed, marriage can be like what our grandparents used to tell us. It's a boiling pot. <laughs> okay? And uh, I told you this example of somebody who said, huh, young man, are you going to get married? I heard this actually from the pastor. So he said, <laughs> they, were, they were going to buy uh, wedding suits and all that. And then the other one, ah, oh, young man, are you going to get married? You are getting into a, you are going to be a slave. You are going to enslave yourself. Okay? There are also these others who say, women are snakes. I even heard that, and a person thinks he's preaching <laughs> in the pulpit. I tell you, women are snakes. How? Which Bible? The problem with pastors who don't read the Bible, they tell us their experiences, and they think that's the Bible. Women are a blessing. Amen? So that's why this Ecclesiastes 9, 9, and 10, then we're going to do the blessing. It says, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. So, see ya? It says, you can live joyfully, you can enjoy marriage. Like this pastor has been enjoying marriage now for over 28 years. And each day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And it says, all the days of your vain life which he has given you under the sun, all the days of your vanity, that is your portion in life, and in the labor which you perform under the sun. So he says, working on your marriage, it's what you should be doing in this life. Then he gives verse 10. So I usually like verse 10, separate from marriage, but the Bible put them in, together, joint. It tells us, enjoy life with your wife, and this is your labor which you must perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Amen? So the time to please each other is now when you are alive. Some of you, you are hating each other so much in your marriage. And tomorrow when you hear that she's dead, now you are the one who's crying the most. You missed an opportunity to love her. You missed an opportunity to love him as if there is no tomorrow. Okay? So it says work on it. Because in the grave where you are going, there is no more work. So, Sia, you will have to work on it. But when you work on it with the Lord, it's not a difficult task. Because when you run short of wine, you know to call upon the Lord. Amen? So, Zuki, you've got to work on this. But when you are working on it, it's easy when you are working on it with the Lord being the center of your marriage. So that's why I'm glad about the two of you that you decided, we know we have been uh, united traditionally, but we want the blessing of God upon our marriage. Like I said, it's also an example for some of you here who are staying together without a blessing. A blessing is not expensive. Amen. So talk to one we will arrange something for you. And to show you that it's not expensive, I told you today you won't eat, isn't it? Yeah, you will see they spent no cent. I even asked them, don't you even want to decorate or do something? They said, no. We want to reserve everything for the 
great day that's still coming. Pastor, we just want a blessing. So, Zuki and, 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 and Sia, you guys have set an example. We have never done it this way before. Because the way that I'm used to is the one where we do the blessing, you exchange the vows, you give each other rings, you make the place here look this and this and this. So the two of them said, we just want the blessing for now, Pastor. And, 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 and people mustn't worry. The time is coming. We'll spoil them at the right time. Yeah. Amen. So just reserve your hunger. <laughs> they are coming for you. They are coming for you soon. Amen. Amen.